Welcome to the Smartest Amazon Seller Podcast. Your host, Scott Needham. I am an Amazon seller, and this is my first podcast that I've recorded that I'll have been selling on Amazon for 10 years. There's a few other OGs that have been in the space for a long time. I have with me one of top three Amazon seller in the world, Spreetel. I have Joseph Hansen, who is the CMO. Joseph, welcome. Thanks for having me. Okay, there's a few other bullet points to his career that you have to know. So he really is been around for a while, founder of Buybox Experts, which recently sold to Spreetel, co-founder of Prosper. It is the number one trade show for Amazon professionals. So I feel like I'm missing one or two things. We could spend 30 minutes talking about each one of them. Launched four different brands, built those up and sold them before I started Buybox Experts in 2013. Okay. So I've been selling on Amazon since 2008. Okay, perfect. Were those private label brands, did you envision Amazon first as a channel? No, uh, when I very first started, I started out like selling in mall kiosks. And my very first business is one called Flirty Aprons that I actually started with my wife. You kind of take an apron and kind of combine Victoria's Secret and William Sonoma. That was the inspiration behind Flirty Aprons. And had no prior business experience. So I went around the country mentoring from some of the best experts in PPC conversion op affiliates. And I would say social and marketplaces were really nascent at the time. Started selling directly to Amazon and started selling on the platform as a 3P seller, like in 2009-ish. Started selling to Amazon in 2008 and experienced a lot of like growth, but pain at the same time. But where I started out was kind of this holistic. Well, good thing process. Amazon's fixed all the problems and there's no more pain today. Exactly. That's exactly where we're at. Today. <laughs> okay. Well, finish your story. You're, you're yeah, back so to I come from like it. the holistic, like build a brand with a lot of D to C and like digital native like presence. And then going over to like the marketplace side, instead of starting with the marketplace and then trying to figure out how to build like the D to C presence of a brand. So I, I kind of come from across the aisle a little bit. Awesome. Now, buy box experts, you just told me it had 300 people in their agency. That's definitely one of the largest. And I love hearing stuff like that. I love not feeling like the ocean is bigger than I realize. You know what I mean? And it's been quite a journey to get there. When I started the agency, it was just me uh, back in 2013. I brought on my first business partner, James Thompson, who had worked at Amazon for six plus years, started out as the very first FBA category manager in charge of sports and outdoors, became the head of seller services. And and James and I started working on the Prosper show first because we both went to Channel Advisor Catalyst and great show, but it's really kind of a lot of self-promotion with that show. We said to each other kind of naively at the time, hey, we can do better than this. We can build a show that's education first. Well, James is the type of person that just goes out and does it. And he he and I together went out and we built Prosper. And then about a year later, I invited him to join Buybox Experts. And he and I acquired a number of other agencies and built that up to become one of the largest and fastest growing Amazon agencies out there. Got up to about 300 people. We're managing about 200 different brands. And it's quite a journey. I would say it's a interesting network to learn the other agency owners. Yeah, there's tons of agencies and whatever number you're thinking, like what anyone listening, like there's more than that. Anywhere from like, you know, I've probably met dozens of people that just do it themselves. They kind of do agency work as like a one-off as like a, not necessarily a side hustle, but like their own income. They just, and everywhere from the like, slice, so very small to like very big. 
what is like a small agency not realize that like, you know, you, you kind of you come to, to learn as you really got a lot more sizable. Well, there's like five dozen things I can talk about. <laughs> Some, well, some, what are, what's feeling real to you now? What's feeling real real to me now? One of the things I learned is that very few agencies are premier at performance marketing. And you think that the WPPs, the IPGs, those big holding companies that own like a thousand agencies inside of them, that somehow their systems are better than yours. A lot of them use the same softwares that you use as an as a smaller yeah. agency. And maybe, yeah, they have more experience on the creative side. They have more experience maybe on the programmatic marketing side or in big media buys. But when it comes down to true performance marketing, like the basics of traffic conversion and sales, they often don't perform very well. And a lot of it has to do with how they're built and the way that they charge money and the way they interact mm -hmm. with brands. You as a smaller agency have the ability to be nimble and work with more people, get integrated better with your brand clients to where you can, I think, create better influence if you understand that key. You're almost saying that like, just because an agency is like, you know, WPP is like a multi-billion dollar like agency, that doesn't mean skill. And- Or even if it does mean skill, it doesn't mean it's assembled in the right way to right. Fun function effectively with brands. And a lot of those, I, I just heard a story where like one of the leading advertising tools is growing simply because a WPP type is rolling it out to all of their like, you know, brands. So like that tells me it's like very relationship and partnership based where mm -hmm. that's why those agencies getting these huge contracts, not necessarily because they really understand the performance marketing on like Amazon side of things, but because relationships. Definitely deep ingrained relationships. Also, going back to your, your previous question, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about, I actually have my oldest son who's 13 years old reading the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. One, oh, yeah. one of the very first business books I ever read. And, and I have him writing a little summary after each chapter. And he just read a chapter where the author's talking about the difference between kind of rich versus poor mentalities. And he says, rich people aren't necessarily the smartest people. They're the boldest people they're willing to make bold moves. Sure. Yeah. And I think the same thing applies to successful agencies. You don't have to be necessarily have like 15 years more experience than the other person. You actually have to have the type of bold ideas that help a brand stand out from its competition, but you have to be close enough to the brand. This goes to your relationship part that you actually understand how their business works, you understand their customer profiles well enough, the bold recommendations you give make sense. Otherwise, if you're not deeply in there enough, you're giving recommendations which don't quite fit with the brand, they'll eventually leave you. And that's why there's so much attrition, so much turnover, not just with employees, but with the brand partner relationships with agencies, because you don't get deeply in enough with them to understand their customer base and their products to make the type of recommendations that really fit and really move the needle. Yeah, I like that. It's a two-sided relationship that you kind of need to understand Amazon and like what marketing levers and which ones actually apply. I was literally on a call yesterday with a company that was like going to launch on Amazon. And I was just there as like a tech guy to like help them like understand if, you know, the API side of things. But their problem was around cell phone activations. And the issue was like, well, if someone returns a product on Amazon and we can't do it, well, probably got to really consider FBM. If you want full control, 
you know, FBA, don't start with that. You know, maybe you like build into that as you like, I'm kind of like a get to market fast kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And it's so crazy how deep in this hole that they were living in. Yeah. Uh, just like, we have to be prime. We have to do this and this. And I'm like, it's like your product is so niche enough and, and high consideration. If they see your seller account is matching the same brand, that's enough trust. You know, well, so I, think that's, I think you're giving a perfect example. That's where an agency with expertise could step in or someone like Spreetail could step in and say, here's a hybrid solution for you. We understand you as the brand well enough that we know you really, really want prime, but there's something you really need that most sellers don't. 99% of sellers don't need that type of control over the returns process, but you do. So you need seller fulfilled prime. You exactly. still need prime, yep. but you need seller fulfilled. That's where I said is like, well, you're one of the few cases where I'm like, if you can move to seller fulfilled prime, these are very expensive products. And you can justify the extra shipping, you know, the extra investment to get it out to the customers faster. And then you get the prime badge and full control. The big issue with seller fulfilled prime, just to go too deep here, is that Amazon isn't really allowing new SFP accounts. They haven't for years now. So yeah. either you're going to have to work with someone like a Spreetail, like a Pattern, or some of these other accelerators as they've kind of self-dubbed themselves, or you're going to have to find an account to an Amazon, please close your ears, purchase and take over that already has F SFP attached to it. Yes. Yep. I know that the uh, self-fulfilled prime is kind of like Amazon hasn't like fully like unleash, but I didn't want to jump into that yet with them, but there's ways they can get to it. Yeah. Either way. Well, uh, you mentioned Spreetel, you know, a large accelerator as the category is being defined where working with brands growing on Amazon and there's so many things that I can talk about, but just super interested in Spreetel because they're actually different from other sellers in a variety of ways. One, I do believe they ship a lot themselves. Most big sellers are, they're all FBA heavy, but these guys are not. Um, Pharma Packs was actually probably the biggest FBM seller for a little while in terms of like unit volume, but they're gone. I saw a picture of their warehouse. It's totally empty and mm -hmm. uh, kind of, sad that like a lot of that investment to go away but spreetail still uh humming along but they also excel with like big oversized products i painted part of the picture what am i missing what makes them stand out first off i think you talk about pharma packs and i sort of feel what's happening to like the aggregator and the reseller space is similar to kind of when you drive by those strip malls and you see all of them or almost all of them empty and you kind of get that pit feeling in your stomach where you feel bad for yeah. the small business owners that went out of business. It's kind of the same thing that's happening in e-commerce. There's consolidation going on. Sure. That doesn't mean all malls have closed or will close. No. There's an evolution of the experience. Right. And that's what's happening right now. Just like malls, I think like the top tier malls are doing as fine as ever. Exactly. And and it's the same thing. The people that had the solid fundamentals put in place around their e-commerce business and weren't relying on an expectation of producing solid EBITDA in the future five years out are going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Going to be fine, meaning it's going to be difficult because we're in the e-commerce winter right now, but, yeah. but they will survive and they will thrive. So if we talk, you know, specifically about Spreetail, who are they? What makes them different? You know, Spreetail is an Amazon accelerator in the sense that they allow brands the mechanism of focusing on their core competence and they they can accelerate their e-commerce business through marketplace channels. Now, the main ones that typically work with Spreetail today 
because they get such a synergistic kind of relationship with them are tend to be the bigger and bulkier brands because of Spreetail's unique fulfillment network. Spreetail right. is sort of like the Amazon of the resale business. Sure. Meaning they went out and they spent lots of time and effort over the last decade building their own big fulfillment network that is not like Amazon's network. It doesn't have like all these crazy little machines going around and fulfilling all these packages that are standard size. They, they have really good processes and it's set up really well for big and bulky and they have really good logistics going overseas. And so a brand that sells big spas and probably loses money or makes just a sliver selling directly to 1P will make a healthy margin because they can get their product picked up FOB China from Spreetail and they have container, multiple containers going to the different seven fulfillment centers across the nation for Spreetail. Um, and so they cut out all of this uh, waste that happens and getting the product to their warehouse, then sending it into Amazon, goes directly into their SFP network. Mm -hmm. And because they have Seller Fulfilled Prime, now it's Prime. Yeah. yeah. Retail has amazing relationships with the different shipping providers like FedEx and things like that. So they cut out that waste well, and cost and shipping. Love it. You said a lot of things. One, like Spreetail did the hard thing. They've figured out the harder logistics part of selling on Amazon. Were they bootstrapped? Did they start this out just yes. by themselves? Yes. Mm -hmm. Did they do any drop shipping? Where like, what I mean, they had they didn't own the inventory yet, but were leveraging other catalogs. And like when a sale goes through, they would just like connect the dots and... No, no. So it's always been like... Okay. Now the marketplaces leverage like them sort of as a drop shipper, right? Meaning they yes. leverage their fulfillment network. And they're integrated with 15 different marketplaces. They have the bulk of their sales coming from Amazon, but not the bulk, meaning 90%. Like you'll hear a lot of the, the other like kind of resellers in the market. They'll say, oh, we sell in 15 marketplaces, but 95% go through Amazon. Same thing yep. with the aggregators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 it's a majority, but it's not a super majority. Okay. So they're like the largest, they're the largest sellers on Walmart and Target and and these other channels and have amazing relationships with the merchandisers on those channels. And I think that's one of the big unique selling points of Spreetail is if you're a brand where your product works on Amazon, but also works on Target, you're not just going to get distribution on Amazon, Walmart, Target, and eBay and Home Depot and Lowe's and Wayfair, but you're going to, you're connected to the buyer relationship on target to get exposure and to promotions that you would not otherwise get because the relationships with those types of channels are very different yeah. than they are with an Amazon. I don't know if I'm, I'm like supposed to say that from an Oh agent. no, sorry. I just, I hear so much fulfillment and seven, we don't have to hundred, several hundred. Okay. Right? Yeah. 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 It just is astounding to me. I mean, like we're used to hearing these numbers and this type of investment and fulfillment. We're used to hearing this from like, you know, Amazon and Walmart themselves when they're building out their fulfillment programs. And here's a seller that- always is like, this sounds self-serving, so take it for what it is, but like the best kept secret in e-commerce, meaning like, have you ever heard of Spreetail's brand before you started to really get into the space and investigate it? No, because they've been wanting to do business quietly. They just wanted the merit yeah. of their business to grow it instead of talking about how great they are. Yeah. Oh, I, I've followed them for a while. I know their original names, <laughs> but I am one of very few that have been in the reseller business for a while. 
Um, now, do they go for exclusive relationships or they, do they just do business with anyone that's like interested? Maybe they have like oversized spas, like you said, and they like. Yeah, yeah so Spreetail definitely has some exclusive relationships, but they don't exclude based on exclusion. You know, right, that, that, that's it. It's more of like, we see an opportunity here. Yes. You don't have to be exclusive. Can we sell in these marketplaces? If the answer is yes, we're both going to make money. And there's different types of like, I'll call it ideal customer profiles for every type of company. And Spreetail has its own, right? There may be a company where Spreetail is a very, very good, we'll call it 1B backup or something like that. And then there's there's going to be others where Spreetail is the perfect partner to handle everything. And then there's another one where Spreetail is the main point of distribution, but they don't have exclusivity for various reasons, but they may have exclusivity on 50 SKUs. And those 50 SKUs are the big and bulky ones that doesn't make sense to even sell those to anyone else because it's going to be more profitable and it's going to make a lot more sense for Spreetail to manage that from end to end. Yeah, I just love that like they did the hard thing and the advantages that are coming through. I've been like every business challenge that I personally see like Smart Scout, like one thing I have a hard time doing is not trying to build a tool for everyone. It would be a lot easier if I just try to solve one problem for one person. Specializing, it starts to answer a lot of questions and they actually have done a specialization. They've kind of figured it out that most people don't even want to touch and that's oversize at scale. Oversize at scale like is not easy. No one wants to do oversize. Amazon doesn't want to do oversize. That's why Amazon disincentivizes you by charging you so much that they make it un almost unprofitable for most brands to sell oversized on their platform because their systems are built around automation with their robotics. And those robotics don't handle products that are too heavy or too big. You need people and you need people set up with machines and the right layout and other things like that and storage factors indifferently. Spreetail's kind of solved that puzzle really, really well. And I imagine, you know, there's additional specializations that they're looking to conquer. Like once you conquer one, like, and you, you kind of solve the problem, there's a market fit for that. And you, and you do really well, then you can move on to something else and you can move on to something else with every advantage. Yes. The, the moving on to something else is, oh, we're going to scoop up one of the largest agencies in the world that has like, you know, an excellent reputation and, you know, are extremely connected. And so all of a sudden now, you know, we have a very large reseller that also now has a lot of marketplace sophistication that an agency would bring to the table. Yeah, yeah. I would say Spreetail's always had the idea. In fact, if you look at their like vision or mission statement from like 2019 or something, they, they say they're like their mission, their mission is accelerating brands for the e-commerce of tomorrow. So they've always wanted to be the accelerator, but they lacked a lot of the performance marketing expertise uh -huh. and diversity, right? You need, a, you need a collection of diversity across lots of different categories and, and types of brands in order to understand the market really well and experiment mm -hmm. and, and innovate and iterate. Well, when they acquired BBE, Buy Box Experts, it became the marriage of performance marketing with a solution that is brand centric around the logistics side. And now you have both of those things together. Yeah, no, it, it definitely was a gap, you know, like they got the logistics side and you need, that kind of ties back to like what we were talking at the very beginning. How would you define performance? Sure, market? sure. 
Well, I, I think mean, is Buybox Experts a, a performance yeah, I, marketing? Yeah, I call it a performance marketing agency, right? The Amazon performance marketing agency. Yep. Why? Because marketing can mean lots of different things. Marketing could mean the creative guy that rebrands Nike. It could mean the programmatic marketing for general awareness spend. It could be the, the type of company that does creative marketing. Performance marketing is about working on the three elements that control revenue. Well, really two of those, those elements. But if you think about it, the three things that control GMV, gross merchandise volume or revenue, are traffic, conversion, and price. Yeah. Those are the three things. You manipulate any one of them. And then, then there's lots of things that feed into what gives you more or less traffic, what increases or decreases, what increases or decreases your conversion, and then how you can increase your average order value or decrease it with price. Well, Buy Box Experts is focused on those things holistically in order to drive more GMV or sales, but to mm-hmm. do it in a profitable fashion. And so it's, it's like, how do we drive? How do we create a flywheel for brands yeah. to grow? Because Amazon has its flywheel. And a lot of people are familiar with the Amazon flywheel, right? You know, Amazon had this closed marketplace. So it was just basically books and their wholesale relationships for a number of years. Then Jeff Bezos, when they're after the dot-com thing, things weren't going very well. Jim Collins came up there and told him, hey, you need a flywheel. And Jeff gets out this napkin and draws in the center of it growth. And then he says, hey, by having a marketplace that's open to sellers, it increases product selection. That increased product selection improves the customer experience. That improves sales, which makes more people want to sell, which is a flywheel. And then out of that, instead of harvesting more profit from that, we they actually decreased price in order to further drive customer experience. That's great for Amazon, but what does that do to a brand? What happens is when you have 30 people selling your product and it's not controlled, is your listing content looks horrible because you have lots of different submissions going in there. You have price disparity across channels instead of price parity, which creates channel conflict. And all these things eventually lead to an erosion of brand equity. The millions, or if you're a large brand, the billions of dollars you spend building your brand, because Amazon is the center of the e-commerce universe and everyone goes there to look at products, everyone, now your brand equity starts to erode over time unless you get control of it. So when I created BBE, it was about having experienced all this myself, it was about help brands get back control or governance of the channel by becoming the seller of record and then controlling the content, optimizing the content, leveraging advertising that not only produces good ROAS on that that direct advertising, but helps you rank better organically so you can get better sales coming through there. And now you have your own flywheel that's profitable enough that you can reinvest in it to keep growing on the channel and it doesn't disrupt your other channels. Yeah. Performance marketing is about like controlled, profitable sales growth. Yep. I hear a lot of performance marketing around like say uh, Facebook ads or Google ads. And they're like, what they're doing is that like, they have to create that flywheel, that, that, that profitable, they're judged on how well they do it. Exactly. You know, that you are above break even you're, you're increasing profit margins in a lot of ways in Amazon agency. That's what they are. So I, um, you know, Spreetel has lashed that on. And one thing I've said before, at least on this podcast, you're always jealous of the business that you don't have. I'm sure there's still something that they're like, oh, but we want this too. But where is Spreetel going? You know, like you said, like you feel like we're in an e-commerce winter. I mean, it's it's uh, two years after COVID. 
actually getting close to three. And so things are a little bit different, but you know. I think uh, the e-commerce winter has more to do with like external market conditions. Coming out of the pandemic, artificial demand in some other ways, everyone's like step change function, everything's going to be different. Sort of, not really. I think it was more like a pendulum. I don't think the pendulum has like swung back the other way, it just swung back mostly to where it was. But what we think was a swing back in the other direction of the pendulum is actually just, no, the government isn't subsidizing consumer spending anymore. And interest rates are a lot higher. Energy cost is a lot higher. So discretionary spend is a lot less than it was. And credit utilization is a lot higher than it was. So people don't have money to spend on discretionary expenses like they yeah. did. It wasn't, it's not subsidized by the government and there's less of it. So that's the e-commerce winter. Right. It's really well, a commerce winter more than anything else. Then, then uh, what, where is Spreetel going to, you know, where, where's their spring? Well, it's it's the same spring that it is sort of is for everyone, meaning it's doubling down on the things that will help brands that have great products and great stories weather the storm. So making sure that they can they have the performance marketing engine coupled with the logistics engine that keeps them profitable, keeps them competitive and growing. So as we come out of the storm, they flourish. And so it's working with the right brands, the ideal customer brands. It's not uh, it's not reselling any product. It's reset. It's working with the right brands. They're willing to invest in growth and in channel governance that gets them to grow. Yeah, I see, probably see once a week at least someone gives some tirade about like recession or you know Amazon like they're going to shrink this or this. And there's a few things that stick out to me that I'm like, no, nah, I don't think so. One, like their sales are still up year over year, which is huge. And then their Prime subscriptions. I think more than 80% of households have an Amazon Prime subscription. Those two things together, I like say like, no, 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 no. Amazon's like, fine. Like they're going to, this is durable. And that a lot of it is more of like, you could still win market share. You know, say you're a brand that's in a competitive segment, like, mm -hmm. you know, you could still win market share in this climate. And it's, it's meaningful. And you and should. I'm kind of and you like, need the tools to help you understand that. So a lot of what, what I find with a lot of brands is that they, that cliche phrase, they don't know what they don't know. They, they don't understand like market share across the platform. They don't even realize that data is relatively available with a lot of the tools that we have nowadays to understand market share. So they, they're like, Hey, I'm up 20% year over year. It's like, but your category's up 35% year over year. You're losing market share there. Yeah. What tools do you use for that? Lots of different tools. The Jungle Scouts of the world, like Cobalt, Helium 10, the retail analytics, uh, the brand analytics that you well, get from Amazon. Um, I'll, throw this, internal tools. I'll, I'll throw this gauntlet down. I, I know how Jungle Scout Cobalt works for those that haven't ever, that's uh, their enterprise offering. It's quite expensive. I mean, relative like to like a, a new beginner. Smart Scout, a fraction of the price, we offer a better experience. Now, that's the commercial. That's me like tooting my own horn for a second. But like, but what you were saying is right is that these, but Jungle Scout Cobalt is an awesome tool. Like when I first saw and that. There's other awesome tools like Analytic Index is yes. an incredible tool, right? Yeah. And Smart so, Scout is incredible. Like there's, I don't say pick your poison. It's like, <laughs> 
pick your potion. There's yeah. lots of different no, And it is still like, it's still really green out there. So many brands, so many people do not know about those types of tools. And one thing that they accomplish is they build this, they give you this FOMO of like, oh, this is what it means. Like, this is what a marketplace is. This is market share. Like I can grow in this. And how can you grow if you don't know? You know, you asked me a question at the beginning about some of the big things I learned along the way in the <laughs> space, right? I think one of the things Spreetail's learned and BBE has learned, and I think every agency, reseller, and even brands learn is that their customers don't tell the truth. What do I mean by that? If I were to say customers don't tell the truth from an agency perspective, it would be the brands. What? The brands are lying to you? Well, they're lying to you because you ask them the wrong questions. If you ask a brand, what are your goals? Most of the time, they don't give you the real truth. Maybe the expectations are too high. And they feel that if they told you what the real expectations of the decision maker are, you're not going to be able to accomplish those. But maybe they don't really feel like they know what they are. But if you ask them a different question and you say something like, if we, you know, if we step out of this meeting and 90 days from now, we come back for another quarterly review and you felt like this was a wild success, what three things would have had to have occurred? Then they pause for a second, they think deeply, and they give you an honest answer. You have to just reframe the, it's the same question, you just asked it in a different way. In fact, you basically turned it into a SMART goal without telling them that. And, and now they give you something that's actually really true and you can take away from that. And a lot of that has to do is because you made it emotional. You, you force them to say, oh, what would have to happen for me to feel like it's a wild success? Hmm. Well, I think that, that like that's kind of the thing. It's like you have to, as a brand owner, a reseller, an aggregator, you have to get in the mind of your customer, whether that's consumer or the brand or the marketplace channel, and you have to get the honest truth out of what they're really looking for to create success. I love that. It's very simple just to like think like, oh, I want to grow up and to the right and just feel that like, oh, we want to be bigger, bigger. You know, we want our revenue to grow. We want our profit to grow and not ask the opposite questions. If we didn't grow, why? What are our weaknesses? You know, what's our strengths? If I hit, you know, my goal of doubling in a year, what caused that? And, and we've had many instances where a brand does double and we think they're very happy. This is in the past before we became a much better agency than what we are today. So I'll say probably four or five years ago, it's like a brand doubles and you're like, yes. And then it's like, you get noticed that the brand's leaving and you're like, what? Put our heart and soul into this brand over the last three years. And over the last year they doubled and they're leading. It's like, but then you found out their metric of success was really like new to brand customers and profitability. It wasn't revenue growth. It's like, oh crap. And so that's why I think you have to like ask questions in alternative ways yeah. to get to the honest answers. Yeah, I like that. And then that applies in so many different ways. Like I'm, I'm thinking of like, you know, you take a question then when you ask the opposite, even in like relationships, like that's helpful. If you talk about like smart scout or analytic index, if you use a tool in a particular way to try to answer a certain question, I think that can take you down the invalid assumptions. It's the same thing. Like, how you actually utilize the type of questions you're trying to answer with software can lead to like validation fallacies instead of giving you information that sends you in the right direction.
Absolutely. Sometimes I push it back against people or whatever and be like, okay, these numbers, like, yeah, they're right, they're great, but like, how does that change what I'm doing today? How does it make me more successful? And you actually have a, a way of just, I think just the way you communicate, it's almost each of those lines could be like a little, its own little Twitter thread of like, of like business wisdom. This is someone that's teaching their 13 year old rich dad, poor dad, which I freaking love that book and wish more people could read it. It's actually a very quick read. And I presume, you know, you're going through the book again with your son. What What's some new takeaways that you're getting? Well, I'll bring in something a little bit outside of business in here. And I'll say one of the big takeaways when he talked, the thing I mentioned earlier about the rich mentality versus the poor mentality of bold moves and thing, and not being afraid to change. I think that applies to people emotionally and spiritually. I think people that are rich emotionally and spiritually are willing to chain, take bold action and change themselves. They're willing to like self-evaluate. They're willing to, from a spiritual sense, repent from a psychological sense, change who they are, decide that they need to change. They're willing to sacrifice. The poor kind of like emotionally or spiritually resist that change. They're afraid of it. And I think that extends to all parts of business. I think that extends to relationships. I, I think that extends to personal skill sets. It's not about necessarily being the smartest. It is about willingness to be bold at self-examination and how you can get better. I love that. Again, you know, there's some, uh, some, Twitter, some, thread. <laughs> some, some Twitter threads that just go viral because it's just wisdom distilled down. I can feel, look back in the past few years. I've, I've got married. I've had a, a baby and like the different parts where like, I was like really stressed. I know I was like, just like rigid and kind of like back up against the wall and like resisting change. I've even felt that in my, some of my businesses, I was like, oh my goodness, this is making money now. I don't want anything in the world to change. And that's not the truth that I've seen. Yeah. Uh, you have to be able to adapt. And so very, uh, interesting to to chat with you hear about Spreetel, hear about them taking over the world they're not quite taking over the world but i love the rebrand i love the acquisition that they've done one time a brand came to us and they did talk about oversize uh, they wanted to move around a lot of units oversize one p just wasn't working for them if i knew now like if i would talk to them again and be like like the end of conversation go talk to Spreetel. this is like they're the solution so impressed that you guys have built some solutions and excited to see where you guys go. Appreciate it. Uh, appreciate you having me on. Look forward to learning more about Smart Scout and its success as well. <laughs> Someone from the Spreetail organization pays for it. So I don't think there's a vast adoption. Some of your competitors have adopted it, but that's a conversation for another day. All right. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you everyone for listening in. Hopefully I can get out of the e-commerce winter and into spring. All right. Take care. Thanks so much. One, two, three.